The Legal Corner Podcast Series. Welcome to today's episode of The Legal Corner, a podcast which covers a variety of legal issues to keep you informed. Hosted by attorney at law Colin Dinoon and communication specialist Leonardo Torres. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Legal Corner podcast series. In today's episode, we'll be looking at custody and maintenance at the magistrate's court. This is something that is very topical because even in my practice, I tend to see a lot of these cases arising. Our distinguished guest today is Ms. Linda Gopi Singh. She's an attorney at law who has been called in 2020 and she is based in the Point Fortin area. She does family, civil and conveyancing and she will be our distinguished guest today. Good day to you, Linda, and how are you today? Hi, good afternoon. I'm fine. And how are you? I am good. Good. Nice to have you on. So we're going to get straight into it. Uh, Tell us, how does someone apply for custody and maintenance of a minor child in the magistrate's court? The application can be done in three ways. You can either email the magistrate courts. There are emails provided on the judiciary website. Usually an email address will start with mrcc.com and the district in which you're applying. So if you're for Point Fortin, the email address would be mrcc.pointfortin at ttlawcourts.org. If it's San Fernando, mrcc.sanfernando at ttlawcourts.org. Secondly, you can easily call the judiciary has a hotline number, 223-1060, um, wherein the persons will take your information and set up an appointment for you to visit whichever district court you wish to make the application. Now, in making the application, they provide you with an application form. There are four main things you need to have when you're going to make an application. If you're the applicant, whether you're the mother or the father, the applicant goes with a form of his or her ID, right? On the form, you have to fill your name, address, and contact number of both you and the responder, the respondent being the mother or the father, whoever is bringing the application. You have to provide the court with copies of the birth certificates of the children. Okay, so that was the name, the address, contact number of the applicant and the respondent, the birth certificates of the children. Um, when it is you are making an application, you must ensure that you have a proper address of the person on the other side. That is to ensure that when the application is made, the mother or the father on the receiving end is able to get a summons to appear in court. What type of orders can the court make? Um, in relation to these type of matters, custody and maintenance, they can make both actual custody orders, sole legal custody orders, maintenance orders, and they can also do a variation of any of the orders that I just mentioned. And what factors does the court take into account before making such orders? In making an application for custody, there, there are various factors. The court considers, according to Section 3 of the Family Law Guardianship Act, right? they looked at holistically the welfare of the child. Now, the act itself doesn't explain the welfare of the child. 
but we have guidance. In law, we have um, persuasive cases, so we have guidance, so we have other laws or case law that we can pull from, right? The one that I particularly use when it is I am trying to attribute what factors the court will consider in making custody orders, um, I take into consideration the the Children Act of 1989. It's a UK-based, it's a, it's a UK statute, right? However, it provides a checklist of some sort what it is the court can consider in granting someone custody. The first thing that they look at is the wishes and feelings of the child. Also taking into consideration the age of the child and the understanding of the child. Secondly, they look at the physical, emotional, and educational needs of a child. Thirdly, they look at any likely effect on the child in terms of the, any changes in his or her circumstances, meaning who goes to the mother, who goes to the father, if any change will affect them in any way. They also look at the age, the sex, the background of the child, right? Um, they look at if the child may be at the risk of suffering harm or is likely to suffer harm if he or she goes to either home. They also look at the capability of each of the parents in relation to how well they can look after the child. That's a summary, um, basically, in what it is the court looks at when granting custody to a parent, be it mother or father. What does it mean? Secondly, sorry. What does it mean local legislation that governs this area? We have the Family Law Guardianship of Minors Domicile and Maintenance Act. Okay. Right? The factors, as I said, the welfare of the child is pointed out in Section 3 of the Act. However, it doesn't go on to include specific factors on what is the welfare of the child. And I, um, from practice and from research, I was able to pull together a checklist that will give us some sort of guidance as to what the court is looking for. Okay. There are also numerous cases deciding or the factors which would have um, been provided in the list that I mentioned a few seconds ago. Right. You had something else you wanted now, to add on that? Right. So that's what the court considers in making applications for custody, right? Um, now, I I didn't mention that custody can be either actual custody or sole custody. Actual custody will mean that you have physical possession of the child, meaning that the child stays with one parent. They live with you, right? Sole legal custody means now that you as a parent have actual physical possession of the child along with the authority to make any decisions relating to the child. May it be education, religion, where they go, where they spend their time with. That's the difference between sole legal custody and actual custody. So while the court makes custody applications, we start to break it down in what comes under custody orders, right? Now, the court is also in the position to make something called a Section 18 order, right? A Section order, a Section 18 order is relative to a custody order. It just allows one parent, the one who does not have the actual custody of the child, to retain his parental 
rights, responsibilities, and duties to the child. Meaning that the parent who doesn't have the physical control or the physical possession of the child is also put in a position where he or she can make decisions relative to the child's life. As I mentioned, educational, religious, um, hobbies, what it is they do in their spare time. Okay. So I've covered basically what type of, what it is the court looks at when they're making orders for custody. Right? The other orders that the court can make also is maintenance orders. Now, a maintenance order, the factors that the courts consider, right? It's, we are guided by Section 19 under the same family law, guardianship of minors, domicile, and maintenance act, right? There are seven factors which the courts which the court considers, right? The first thing that they consider is the income, the earning capacity, the property and other financial resources of each parent, right? Whether they consider what it is the persons have now and what it is they may have in the foreseeable future. Now, in considering these factors, it's not only one parent. They consider the income and the earning capacity and the financial resources of both parents. Secondly, they look at the financial needs, obligations, and responsibility which each parent has. If it is that one works, one doesn't work, who has children, who doesn't have children, their contribution to a household, right? Thirdly, they look at the financial needs of a minor. Now, financial needs of a minor can be vaguely considered, right? However, the courts tend to look at the reasonable needs of a child, meaning food, clothing, shelter, education, which includes transport to school, school books. So they look basically at the the general the general things that a child would, would need on a daily basis when they are looking at the financial needs of a child. Yes, it can it ex- include extracurricular or entertainment um, items, but they tend to focus on the reasonable needs of a child. Right. Second, they look at if it is if. Um, the income or the earning capacity of or any property of the minor themselves. Um, the reason why they look at this factor is if the minor um, has, has the ability to earn, probably at the age of 16, can find day-to-day, um, probably an apprenticeship program or receives a side bed. So they also take into consider, consideration that factor. They also take into consider any mental or physical disability of the minor. Now, if a minor has probably autism or cannot work properly, then his financial needs will, will be greater as opposed to someone who does not have physical or disability um, needs. Right? The court also takes into consideration the manner in which the parents expected the child to be educated or trained. So if it is that while the parents were together, they have, or they have plans that the child is to be um, a professional in any sort of way, they also take into the consideration, okay, then he will need this amount of money for classes, he will need this of mon- amount of money for extra tutoring, whatever it may be. Thirdly, I mean, lastly, sorry, they look at the standard of living enjoyed by the um, enjoyed by the family, meaning when it is the parents would have lived together with the child, what kind of life did they have? Did they have one where on a monthly basis, the child will be 
um, Alton's. Um, the child would go to Alton's. If it is that while he was there, he would have had someone to pick him up, dropping off to school. So they look at all the other final, um, the standard of living enjoyed by a family, basically, during that time. Right? That's, um, in a nutshell, the factors they would consider in making an application for maintenance. However, these factors are also looked at on both parent sides and not just one. Now, when a maintenance order is not complied with, what occurs next? We have the court pay system now. When a maintenance order is made, both parties are to sign up for court pay and the monies are being facilitated through an electronic or electronic system. Right? So in the event that someone misses a payment for a continuous period of four weeks, one month, the applicant or whoever has a child and is receiving the payments can easily go to the court and make an application for the breach of the maintenance. Now, this application now would be issued in the form of a warrant where the respondent on the other side, be the mother or father, now has to come before the court and either accept or deny these mispayments. If it is accepted, um, they get time to pay all the times to pay a uh, period of time to pay all the money. If not, according to section twenty seven of the Act, they can face um imprisonment of two months if they if they if they don't pay it out in the event that they say, okay, I'll pay it and then time has passed and they have not paid it. Right? So that's the outcome of breaching a maintenance order. At this point in time we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back and thank you for staying with us, Alan. Now, before the break, you were just telling us about the consequences uh, when someone fails to abide by the terms of a, a maintenance order. I want us to switch gears now, and I want you to tell us what options are available to a parent who is being denied access to their child in breach of a court order. So, in this instance, the parent um, who has been denied the access goes to the court and make an application for a breach of the um, of the access order. They will have a hearing. They will be able to provide dates and time as to when it is they will deny the access. Um, at all times, the access must have been unreasonable. So, for instance, if the court order um, indicated that one parent is to get the child every other weekend. However, for a continuous period of two or three months, that parent has not had access to his child or her child. They can go to the court and indicate that they have not had access. List in detail the dates and the time when it is ordered want to pick up the child and the access was denied. Now, the court now will obviously have to hear evidence from both sides as to why this access was denied. If it is that the access that was denied is reasonable, 
reasonable meaning that the child was likely to have incurred some sort of harm if, if he or she had gone with the other parent, then the court would consider making a variation of that um, abscess order. In the event where the reasons provided by the parties were not reasonable at all, then the court will order that the current access order is to be continued by the parties. Again, in making that application, there are the three, the three ways that you can go through it, either via email at the MRCC emails, you go in person to the district courts, or you call the 223 hotline number for further assistance. Right, so living on an island, right, we know that at some point in time, in most cases, one parent would want to take the child out of the jurisdiction, either to the U.S. or some other island or, or something like that, and it may give rise to some conflict. So I want you to tell us what would really be the appropriate procedure when one uh, parent wants to take the minor child out of the jurisdiction. So in, there may be two, this can be answered in two parts. So one, if it is that one parent wishes to take the child outside of the, outside of the jurisdiction, let us go with the scenario where the child doesn't have a passport or a visa, right? In that instance, um, the parents now, once it is their names are on the child's birth paper, both parents have to be present at the immigration offices in order to sign the documents pertaining to the child being granted his passport or his, his visa. In the instance where one parent can't make it, I know of instances where a signed letter stand by a JP granting consent to the other parent to facilitate the transaction would have worked. Right? Um, in other instances, let's say where the child already has the passport and it's just uh, an issue of taking the child out of the country. If court, if talking to the other parent doesn't work, you can simply make a application to vary the con- the current access or um, custody order that you have and ask particularly for it to be included that party A with consent or with with consent from party B can take the child out of the country and probably put provisions such as details that are provided to the other side within 24 or 48 hours of leaving the country with the child. So if the talking doesn't work, you can also always go back to the court and make a variation of that access order and specifically tell the court what it is you're making the variation for. That is to include travel. As we come near to the end, I want you to tell us uh, what is the duration of a custody order and the duration of a maintenance order. So a custody order can go up until the child attains the age of 18, or in some instances, until further order. Um, in, most in-, in most instances, the it's until the child attains the age of 18. However, a maintenance order, while it can be up to until the child is 18 years, in the event that the child, even after obtaining 18 years of age, still the one parent still needs financial assistance. The family law, guardianship um, of minors and domicile and maintenance act also provides provisions under six, section 16 of this act, right? whereas the court can make a decision of extending a maintenance order until the person is the age of 21, right? So they will consider extending the order if it is that the minor is still receiving um, 
instructions that are educational establishment to undergoing some training, trade or vocation, right? Secondly, um, they also take into consideration special circumstances which justify the making of such an order, meaning that in some instances, it does not only boil down to, okay, the child is still in school, we are going to extend an order. In some instances, the child may be disabled or maybe um, well, maybe disabled in some form or fashion and requires help further from the other parent. It's all about putting, again, towards the court, your the reasonable needs of the child. If it is that he has to still go to school, if it is that he's still in need of some medical care due to um, whatever physical or mental position he may be in. Ms. Linda Gopisingh at Iniat Law, this has been a great conversation. Thank you very much for stopping by. Thank you for listening to the Legal Corner podcast series. For more information, please visit us at our Facebook or Instagram pages or send your comments to the Legal Corner Podcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.